Welcome to another episode. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Yes, yes, yes. You told Brent. This is the Creative Double Shot, a conversation about building the creative life you want. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ginger. If you want more creativity in your life, let's talk. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Double Shot. Today, we are continuing our little bit on narratives. Last week, we talked about everyday narratives, just those little insidious things that we say to ourselves that can limit us and keep us from being the people we want to be, doing the creative practice that we'd like to do. Um, and today, we're, we're going a little deeper, taking a deep dive. Deep. I don't have my <clears throat> DJ voice. I need, I need a good, like... Uh, Sinus headache to oh, really yeah. <laughs> some post nasal drip to get that deep voice. High tech. High tech, yeah. Anyway, we're talking about lifetime narratives, and when we were putting this together, it occurred to us that we've really been talking about narratives all along. Mm. They're all all those things that we tell ourselves, excuses that we make not to do our creative practice, um, and of course. These aren't just limited to creativity. They're just narratives that run throughout our lives. And these deeper ones, even more so than the insidious small ones, which really kind of piggyback on the deeper ones probably. Right. right? Yeah. Because there's that fear factor, not the show, which let's never talk about that again. <laughs> um, but they limit us and prevent us from a creative practice. They keep us from having a satisfying. Yeah. So either they keep us from getting started or they keep us from having a satisfying creative right. practice. Yeah. And you, you used a metaphor, which is a very popular one for things that are maybe on the surface, not so, they don't seem so crazy or huge, but then beneath the surface, yes. they're like... Icebergs. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Our iceberg narratives that have this incredible network that we're not even aware of. Yeah. Like if you were to say, take a submarine and go under the iceberg and use your science fictional drill on the front of the submarine to get to the core, in there you'll find your emotional ball, ball of twine encased in ice, like a 20,000-year-old <laughs> dude in the Alps, or 10,000, oh. but maybe less leathery. Um, oh, yeah. What's in your iceberg? My emotional That's... ball of twine is in my iceberg. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, but yeah, there's all, there's just, we're very... We're deep. We have a lot of layers, just people in general. Even if we don't think we are, we do. They're in there. Um, That's right. Yeah, we've, we've cut ourselves off from that depth a lot of times just to get through our days. Absolutely, because sometimes it can be painful or it's complicated and it makes our head hurt, like advanced math for people like me. See, there's a narrative. <laughs> That's so right. Uh, but, and, and we also talked about how these can be they can come out of like a single traumatic event. You know, maybe you did something that you just thought was really cool when you were a kid and people pooped all over it mm. and just shut you down. Um, or, or even no one jumped in, up and down for joy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking uh, there's a story. It's this true story. Now we're a true crime podcast. No. Uh, a true story that you witnessed at the playground when uh, we used to go there. They were playing on a... Jungle Jim. Ah, oh, yeah. Merry go round. It was a very, it's an interesting piece of 
sort of homemade uh, playground equipment that was just kind of a big <laughs> slab of wood that we were all pretending that it was a boat and, you know, looking out to sea and and this kid's mother or grandmother or somebody came up and said, you're not on a boat. What are you talking about? Stop lying. Stop lying. Oh, that's right. Stop lying. And so she obviously had some deep wounds about Oof. that. Yeah, or maybe, you know, maybe she was just super concrete and imagination right, wasn't her jam. <laughs> or she just wanted to bring everyone down oh, to Oh boy, but yeah, it really So yeah, so I think sad. about that and and maybe maybe that one time wasn't the thing, but maybe over a period of of years getting shut down like that eventually you're just be like, "Oh, okay, well, I'm just going to talk about things in reality and not exercise my creativity or my imagination and that's sad." Yeah. And then, um, you know, I was thinking as you get older, especially like say in high school and high school is very, very much about conformity, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, if you're, if you stand out, it's, it can cause you trouble. And so maybe there's like one thing where you, you really either like to do something or you think you're good at it and you put it out there and you just get destroyed and that can shut you down pretty, pretty hard and fast. I was thinking of a story in On Writing by Stephen King. And he talks about this girl he went to high school with, and she and her brother, you know, they were obviously not well off. They they wore like the same clothes every day. And at the beginning of the next school year, she had shown up to school with like a brand new outfit and looked, you know, really nice. And even that, like, if you try to look nice and, and do, I, I'm just thinking of this as like a, an, an example of trauma. So you're like, okay, I'm changing my thing, and then you still get beat down because everyone notices that you're not wearing the same old clothes, and, and then you get grief for that. And yeah. uh, and then by the end of the year, the clothes were old and, and ratty again. Anyway, <laughs> a little bit of a side tangent, but just this idea of, of what kinds of trauma can follow you through the rest of your days, um, or or in, in terms of narratives, like the, the types of things you say about yourself or think people think about you. From the outside... It may not look like trauma, but it feels like trauma. You know, that's it, a really good point. It, yeah, the feeling, and it's funny, right? Because you don't want to experience that feeling again, so you avoid getting in that situation again. Or you don't even label it trauma. It doesn't even feel like trauma, oh, yeah. but it feels bad. <laughs> so yeah, well, this exactly. probably very much goes back to that uh, survival instinct that uh, you know fear is a threat, or yeah. that feeling is a threat, and so as a result, you avoid it. You avoid putting yourself out there. And so that's like that's a big question about these narratives is is whose story is it? You know, it seems as we started unpacking this that a lot of our narratives don't come from us, but there are some that do. Mm-hmm. And so some of the things that we were thinking about that maybe come from ourselves are, um, you know, if we throughout the course of our young lives, especially because we're always trying to figure out the world and we're trying to figure out what we're good at and where we fit and how to categorize ourselves, you know, sometimes things might come easy to us. And as a result, we're like, oh, I must be, I'm good at this. And so I pursue this thing because I'm good at it and it comes easy. I don't have to work hard. And uh, that feels good. And, and a lot of times if you do find yourself good at something, then those outside vectors come into play too, where someone will be like, oh, hey, you're really good at that, you know, and that's... Enforcing your narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you even deflect some evidence to the contrary because you do have, you have that strong belief in your ability or whatever in some instances. And so 
evidence that you would normally take as why you're not good at it. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what I'm trying well, no, to say. Well, there's a sort of the the humility factor, right? Because God, for, you know, we've talked about this too. If you put yourself out there, you're you're not supposed to brag. You're not supposed to put yourself in the spotlight because other people are uncomfortable doing it for themselves, so they don't want you know. Right. I mean, there are there are myriad reasons why that occurs. But uh, yeah, so it gets cloudy too, right? So you might have conflicting narratives that you've created for yourself for reasons. Maybe one time you made somebody uncomfortable and you kind of picked up on their vibe by you putting yourself out there saying, oh, I'm really good at this. And the other person maybe wasn't as accomplished. You could see that they felt bad. And so as a result, you dial you back. You dialed back. Yeah. You know? um, oh, gosh. And yeah, it's, it's super complicated. You know, we, we kind of broke this into two things, you know, your personal narratives and then the ones that other people give you. But uh, a lot of the personal ones come from proof, like things that in your mind you've proven to yourself to be true. Right. Like the idea that if you went and tried something, I think sports, I always come back to sports because that was such a big part of my childhood is that if you tried something and everyone else around you had been doing it for a long time, and this is, this is a very life-threatening situation I'm about to relate to you, wiffle ball, um, you know, <laughs> when I was little, wiffle ball was a huge thing in the neighborhood in one of the 42 neighborhoods I grew up in. Um, <laughs> But this one in particular, oh, we're going to play wiffle ball. And I didn't know anything about it, you know, like other than it was, yeah, it's baseball, and, which I wasn't very good at either. And so, but I went and I played and, and just wasn't good at it because I just didn't know. And also didn't have the um, eye-hand coordination at that time in my life. But I, I wasn't jonesing to get back and play it again after right. that because it was kind of a miserable experience. And clearly, everyone else knew what the hell was going on, but I had no idea. But that was proof of, to myself. No one said, oh, you suck. But I was like, I suck. And so, so I was like, well, I don't want to do that, you know. Um, so that's sort of the opposite of what we were just talking about. That's when things are hard. Right, right? Yeah. If things are hard, we, you know, we want to be good right away. Or if we're already in the middle of a creative practice, uh, I think of music as a, as a good one where you're playing all the time and eventually you hit a plateau. And you're just, and maybe in your mind, you're like, oh, I guess this is as good as I'm going to get because either A, you might not be willing to put the work in to get better because- Usually that's the case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but it becomes a narrative, you know, or that can also be the same thing with uh, various academic pursuits, right? Uh, again, for me, it was math. It was like I, everything was fine and fine and fine until I think I hit algebra two and then it, it became a lot harder and- Felt like I banged my head on it for a long time in algebra and chemistry. And uh, eventually I was just like, I guess I'm just not, I'm not good at it, you know, as opposed to, it's funny, right? As opposed to, I guess I should work harder, even harder to figure this out. And so anyway. Yeah. And along those lines too, there's, if you set out to do something and you didn't complete it, right? Like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to write this book or this, I'm going to build this fort. And it's going to be awesome. And then you get started and you're like, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought. So I'm going to ditch it. And, and I hear that particular one from a lot of people, you know, that, oh, well, I, you know, I've tried various things along the way, but it didn't work. Yeah. I, I, I never finish what I start. I think we talked about that in one of the previous episodes. And so you create this idea that, oh, that's how I am. Yes. As opposed to. That's how I was in that moment. Right. Exactly. I have the opportunity to rewrite my story in every moment. Which is really wild. And, and I, I, do, I do wonder if some of that comes out of 
I don't want to say laziness because that's not really the right word. I think the right word is like we'd rather spend our time. <laughs> this isn't a word <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, we'd rather spend our time in pursuit of things that give us pleasure than toil in the pursuit of something that's difficult and frustrating. Interesting. Yeah. So in some ways, it's back to that concept of sacrificing what we want in the long run for what we want in the moment, which is just immediate gratification of being good at something yeah. or showing that you're good at something. So it's the, the, wanting the mind. ego, the wanting mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, it is fascinating. And I think, you know, this... We're, we're, it's easy to veer right out of the whole creative <laughs> practice part and into the whole life thing, but yeah. it, it, it's pretty amazing. So, and here we are, we're talking about these more deep-seated narratives, right? And, and so they're the ones that, that we carry around with us and we've carried around for years. And, and some of them, as we just said, you know, come from ourselves, but then there are those that are given to us, mm. um, maybe through words, right? That same kind of thing where if you get feedback in verbal feedback and someone's like, what are you wasting your time on that for? It's stupid, whatever, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Or if you grow up in a family that oh, doesn't the... value a thing that you as a child value and you you become the weird one. You're and so calls weird. your imagination lying. <laughs> right, right <laughs> I mean... like that poor guy, you know. And, uh, and oh. so there's that. There's responses to these things, which some of it can mm. be verbal, but some of it can be very... You know, there can be uh, nonverbal cues, body language. There can be, you know, people avoiding you. Sometimes people get angry. Well, that like that kid's mother or grandmother, you yeah. know, got angry, like actually Somehow angry. Somehow took it personally yeah. that there was pretend stuff going on. Which is a fascinating thing about anger. Quick side trip, you know, if you're getting wound up about something that somebody else is doing, man, it's time to maybe take a look at yeah. why that is. Um, because the there's mirror. probably a whole layer of narratives oh, there. Oh, yes. And I would argue that some of these people's responses, I consider myself a highly sensitive person, mm -hmm. and quite a few of the people that I know I think would probably fall in this category. This goes back to this is sort of a weird yourself and other people's because other people may be having a reaction, and you may also be misreading that reaction. But That's then right. your, <laughs> and then your story, like yeah. people seem to react to me that way, or you know, like it all gets woven in there. It's very... Yeah, and if you have a nice active imagination, you you come up with all kinds of narratives for those people too. Right, exactly. <laughs> they clearly hate me, <laughs> when in fact maybe they just had indigestion. Yeah, or were preoccupied. Oh uh, yeah, and I remember people in school sometimes shy people really got labeled as stuck up. I had a, a good yeah. friend in high school that people thought was stuck up and, and she was so not. Right. Just because they didn't engage in that very conventional, gregarious high school way, right? Yeah. They're more of an observer than a participant sometimes. Fascinating. So there, there's a societal narrative. Uh, we are to be a certain way within. Yeah. You know whose fault it is? The Puritans. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> if you're playing the Puritan drinking game at home, it's time. Um, but no, it's true. It's uh, There are all these things it's not okay to. And I feel like really like as you hit adolescence, this, these are the things that are kind of laid on by society because ev everyone's afraid of being called out and being the center of bad attention, right? right. And so it's, it's not okay to fail. It's not okay to not be good at something. It's not okay to make bad art, to be different, to think differently, to look different, look at things differently. 
to make waves disturb the status quo, which I think that last one is kind of the most important because people are made uncomfortable. That's when they, you tend to get those reactions of la, you know, lashing anger, ridicule, all those things because it taps into something for them. And I, I was thinking about that, the woman and the kid again at the playground, and I, I was wondering if she was worried that the kid would make her look stupid. Mm. And therefore got angry because, and where no one probably really cared. Like, no kid of mine is going to think this is a ship when it's obviously just a slab of wood in the middle of a playground. <laughs> right. Or, man, what? Your kid is dumb and <laughs> right. therefore you're dumb. You know, like just, yeah. the, and we spend so much time worrying about what other people are thinking, which is hilarious because everyone else is worried about what everyone what? else is thinking. <laughs> and and it's just an exercise in futility. Yeah. Uh, it, it, well, it doesn't, it doesn't bear any good fruit, just bitter. Bitter, bitter fruit. Yeah. And I think things have to be, we, you know, we talked about the, you know, it's got to be productive. It's got to be lucrative. It can't mm-hmm. be silly. You have to be serious. And good Lord, that's no way to be if you can avoid it. Or I shouldn't say that. That's no way to be if that's not your nature, like to tamp that stuff down. And right. some people just are serious and that's their thing and that's totally fine. Yeah. But um, if you feel something that's in you that wants to come out, but you tamp it down because of these things, then... That's something worth looking at as far as narratives go and how you might have been affected or created your own narratives about other people's narratives. And how do you know that you're tamping yourself down? You don't feel good. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a great compass. Yeah, I feel like, you know, someone just punched me in the gut. Mm, That's probably a good indicator. Mm -hmm. And then one other one I think we talked about that was just really interesting was the idea of silence. Like you mentioned earlier in this episode, if someone doesn't react to something that gives you joy or they seem indifferent or they have apathy, then it kind of like steals your joy because you're sharing it with the hope that someone will see the, get the same joy out of it that you do. When in fact, again, that's sort of looking for external feedback on what you're doing versus deriving it from inside, which of course is easier said than done. You know, we all Right. Like attention, we like approval. Yeah. The question is, how do you manage it in such a way that it's not debilitating or crushing or any of those kinds of things? Yeah. And so, the, you know, the question is, you know, why do we tell, why do we tell ourselves these narratives, especially these deep ones? You know, I mean, I think by the time we start looking at them as adults, they're probably pretty ingrained. So it's just mm-hmm. habit more than anything. I think we tell them out of protection primarily or, well, yeah, it is protection because we, like we talked about it, you get that feeling, you don't like it. It's just like touching a stove that's hot. You do it one or two times, you're like, that hurt. I don't ever want to do that again. And again, it's a part of yourself trying to be protective of yourself, which is a sweet idea, but not ultimately a gratifying path to go down constantly protecting yourself. Right. And and right now, as you're listening to this, you're probably protecting yourself because you're (laughs) like, I'm just, I'm feeling kind of beat down with all these things that are crushing my spirit. We talked in the short-term narratives episode last week about the first part is recognizing these narratives, mm-hmm. like listening to what you say about yourself. And so it bears repeating that that's, that's the first place to start. And once you start noticing them, that gives you an opportunity to take control because ultimately, I think a lot of times in our lives, we're passive, right? We're passive in the stories, the story of our life insofar as like, oh, there are all these things out of my control that I can't you know, I've got to work, I got to take care of the kids, I got to, 
I don't know, whatever the responsibilities are. And so, again, we use those narratives as like, these are things that are out of my control and this is why my life is the way it is. Mm. And again, it's easier to say, oh, you just change your story, but you can't change your story or your narratives unless you examine them. And then you have to kind of decide what you want it to be, right? I mean, if you if you don't have anywhere where you're going, is, we'll use a river me- metaphor. If you're in the river and you're just floating along, the river's, the river's going to carry you wherever it's going to go. Whereas if you decide you want to be somewhere in particular, like I want to go over to that rock, I want to go back upstream, then you have that opportunity like, well, then I can start swimming. You know, I, I don't know if I'll get there, but I, at least I know where I want to go and I'm not just getting carried along. Uh, and that's ultimately what for creative practice, and I would argue in your life, is you have to decide what you want. And you, you'd mentioned something today about building your studio space. Yeah. And I can't remember. I wish I could give credit to whoever said this, but it was something about don't build your, don't create your studio space or your creative space or whatever around what you're able to do right now, build it around what you want to do. So yes. my example, of course, is my big painting wall that you built for me for Mother's Day. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And it, it really is an example of taking me. I'm not there yet. I'm not regularly making these really big paintings, but it's there and available to me. And it's my, you know, yeah. where I'm going. And I have made some and it really kind of opened a door. And and it's now that it's there, that's not a barrier to doing the big pieces, right. which is kind of cool. And so that's also hard work because where you may think you want to go today may not be the same place you want to go in six months or a month or whatever. And so, and that's okay too. You know, this, that being, being okay with uncertainty and knowing that, you know, you have a lifetime generally of experience where whatever uncertainty you felt resolved itself or you resolved it at some point later. And you probably spent a lot of time worrying about it and it probably didn't need to. I think the key word here is you. It all, it all comes back to you choosing the story you want to tell, yeah. you not waiting for other people to change, you not waiting for conditions to be perfect, just yeah, living the story you want to tell. 100%. Um, when we started this podcast, I think, I don't know if we mentioned this on, on the podcast at this point, but there were... There were two rules, I think. One was it didn't have to be perfect. Right. It was just like, well, let's just start it, see what happens. And hopefully, you know, hopefully it's gotten <laughs> better as we've gone on. And the other rule was it had to be fun. Yeah. And as long as we were having fun, we would do it as long as it was fun. And so it felt really good. And it goes back to our bonus episode, take one action of getting started. Anyway, that's bringing it back around to what Ginger is saying, the taking responsibility and control, like, Instead of waiting for things to be a certain way, just you kind of have to just kind of dig in there and, and go because you ultimately do have control of your story. It might not feel like it some days. And, and, you know, yeah, we all are subject to outside forces that we can't control. But you'd mentioned rolling with the punches, mm-hmm. which if you're a YNAB aficionado, you need a budget. That's <laughs> step number three or rule three. Um, but it's a good one. And it's that uncertainty thing. It's like, okay, well, this isn't how I'd like it to be. So how can I make the best of this situation and then continue on with my, you know, figuring out my, how I'm going to do my creativity and all that kind of stuff. Another thing that might help change your narrative too, is being more open to what 
what your goal or where you want to be looks like, right? So if you're like, well, I need to be in an English manor house in the West Wing with, you know, 40 windows and a giant fire roaring, but I live here in my 800 square foot house and saying, well, I, I can't create unless I have that other thing. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe that's a story you want to examine a little right. bit. <laughs> because it's it's easy to kind of shackle our, our creativity in unrealistic things. Mm -hmm. And of course, again, that's probably coming out of fear. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll leave you with, you've recognized your narrative. You can interrupt it by deciding how you want to how you want it to be, you can examine and replace it by yeah. reaching for a better feeling thought, Absolutely. a better feeling story. And I think being open to being creative within the current space of your life, right? While you're, you're spending time being open to what that could look like. And so that uh, better feeling thought is, you know, when you start thinking about the future, for sure, I think that's huge. And then we talked about Brent Kessel last week too. And ultimately question you want to ask yourself is, are, you know, are these narratives, especially the ones that you're aware of, are they worth the price you're paying in keeping you from your creative life? And hopefully the answer is no. So there's an opportunity to go ahead and start examining and start uh, changing your, your narrative so you can be creatively free. I love it. Awesome. So you've well, got some homework to do. For the rest of your life, <laughs> which is awesome. Life practice. Well, thanks for joining us on another episode here. Hopefully you found something that you can take with you in everyday stuff. And remember that a lot of this stuff isn't just about your creative practice. You can also apply it to your world, your life, other parts of your life. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on the Creative Double Shot. See ya. <laughs>